Hey there, it's your girlfriend, Tina Anderson, with show number 50. Oh my gosh, 50! Can't believe it. Of Get Fit, Stay Healthy. And this show is awesome. I alluded to it last month. Just talking about fat loss in general and losing weight. And I have a specialist. I did an interview with Dr. Charlie Seltzer. And I can't wait to share this with you. He's a bariatric physician, a certified clinical exercise specialist. He's a personal trainer. And he's an all-around practical guy when it comes to treating fat loss, wellness, and longevity. And just to give you some of his background, he graduated cum laude from the University of Pennsylvania with a BA in neurobiology before starting his medical degree. He received the Outstanding Senior Resident of the Year Award, among other accolades, for demonstrating commitment, empathy, and joy in the care of patients. Imagine that. How many of your doctors really demonstrate that? Nice. And here's what's really cool. Charlie battled his own weight issues for years until he perfected a practical approach to, of course, fat loss and sustained healthier living. So he's walked in our shoes, at least some of our shoes. He knows the frustrations. He knows how hard it is. He has been there. And he also knows how to be successful. And he's competed in bodybuilding competitions now, and he still currently trains clients along with his limitless longevity practice in Philadelphia. I love his philosophy, and I think you will too. Here is my phone interview with Charlie Seltzer. Okay, Charlie, so there is a burning question that I have got to start this uh, interview with, and this is the scenario. I have a client or myself that's truly been in calorie deficit for five days in a row at, let's say, about 500 calories. If they have an even day of eating, let's say, normal calorie intake or go up, let's say, and then go back to calorie deficit, what is going on in their body? Are they still in calorie deficit if they don't go over? And can they continue shrinking, I guess, the fat cells? Or do you have to start over again? Oh, yeah. No, it's a great question. Uh, and the answer is the body works more on a longer time frame as far as this clock goes, meaning that it'll work over days and weeks rather than over instant to instant. So if somebody is in a calorie deficit for the most part and then goes over a little bit, as people do, and life comes up, uh, they can still continue to lose fat. Now, the rate of fat loss will slow slightly during that day of an increased calories, but overall, if somebody maintains a calorie deficit for most of the time, it will not really have a significant impact unless the person's doing it regularly. Can you just kind of describe what, what's going on when someone is dropping body fat? And I like to use that term. I'm sure you do more than losing weight. Right. I mean, we need to be really clear that there's a difference between weight loss and fat loss. So what we're talking about here is fat loss. And what happens is the fat cells can expand and shrink based on the amount of fat they're actually storing. And when somebody is in a calorie deficit, the stored fat within the fat cell will be released or oxidized and used for energy by different organs and by muscles, which will cause the fat cells to shrink, causing a leaner appearance. Now, where the fat cells come from, I'm sorry, where the stored fat comes from um, is largely determined by genetics. It's why you can't really spot reduce. So if somebody wants to lose weight around their belly, they're going to have to create a calorie deficit and lose body fat from wherever their body decides to lose body fat from first. Um, but eventually, if somebody continues down the course and gets very lean, they will lose body fat all over their body. Is it there's no way to preferentially target necessarily a one body 
area versus another. Right, which is frustrating because it really does seem like the first place that you gain is the last place that you lose. Is that scientifically been proven or is it just what we imagine? It it appears to be the way it works. I can't say the research paper, but it does appear that the people who who want the fat gone from a certain place first, it's usually the last place that it goes. Um, yeah. Usually around the belly uh, for men and then around the hips for women, which yeah. is where uh, both genders tend to store fat. I know that's a big question, but if we can jump into just fat loss in general and kind of summarize this general principle of how our bodies really just shrink, I mean, the different ways and how someone can look at this and really understand it better. Okay. And the first thing that someone needs to understand is that everybody's metabolism is different or the amount of energy that a person burns just doing their daily activities is different. So two people can eat exactly the same thing and one person might gain weight from that nutrition plan whereas somebody else might lose weight just based on their own metabolism. So it's important for people to realize that they need to know what they're doing themselves and have an accurate picture of exactly how much activity they're doing and exactly how many calories they're burning and exactly how many calories they're putting into their body. When one figures out their baseline, by causing a mild calorie deficit by either increasing activity or more significantly by decreasing the amount of calories they take in, they will begin to burn stored energy and that stored energy becomes in the form of body fat. So by creating a small calorie deficit, one will start to shrink or lose fat cells. And it's important to know that when you do reduce calories, you do experience a metabolic slowdown. It's something that's unavoidable. So people who drastically cut their calories, say maybe in half, will experience a great metabolic slowdown. And when they go back to, quote, eating normally, end quote, what they were eating before they started this plan, uh, that might cause them to gain weight due to that metabolic slowdown. And there's ways to offset that by exercise. Uh, and that's the most important thing. We know from research that exercise is not necessary to lose weight, which was surprising to me, um, having looked at it. But it, it's relatively clear that one can lose body fat by creating a calorie deficit alone. However, for weight maintenance or maintaining lower body weight, physical activity is integral. And what we think happens is as you are carrying around less weight, your body requires less calories to do its activities of daily living. So walking up the steps weighing 150 pounds is going to require a lot less energy than walking up the same flight of steps when the person weighed 250 pounds. So that calorie difference needs to be made up through organized exercise, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense because a lot of the research I've seen, too, is what I really believe in is that, you know, the 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 exercise definitely helps with the maintenance and keeping you motivated and, and keeping it off. Um, but I always tell my clients, listen, it's what you put in your mouth. I mean, you know, you can't exercise away a crappy diet and it just, uh, it doesn't seem to work. But I, I definitely think it's important for, for my listeners and others to hear it from a physician who specializes in this because I still see people in the gym adding more time, more intensity, more, 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 and not getting where they want to be. <laughs> And I'm yeah, guessing that without it's... A doubt. I mean, you said it, and I say something similar, which is you can't out-exercise a bad diet. And it really comes down to the percentage of calories that you're burning just through your daily activities versus the amount of calories that you're burning through exercise. And so much more of your weight is related to the things you do during the day when you're not exercising or what you're putting into your body that the amount of exercise has much less of an impact than the amount that you're putting in um, to your body via food. The other thing that I think is interesting and imp- I think important to talk about is this whole 3,500 calories for fat loss because, 
you know, if someone thought they were right on target and let's say they were pretty close, it still doesn't seem to work out that way, does it? And the research shows that. I mean, there's some great studies done that put people in calorie surpluses in very controlled environments. And we find that the weight gain that occurs uh, is much less than we predicted just by the calorie surplus. And that's the body's metabolism increasing. The same way when people reduce their calories, the metabolism decreases. So that rule works in theory, and it's a good guideline to go by, but it's certainly nothing that you would want to live and die by because there are variations. And our body is really, really good at adjusting, and it forces the person who's trying to lose weight to outthink it or to do things that will help spur weight loss when the body really wants to store fat. I mean, we're genetically designed to try to store as much as possible all the time. I think probably the one thing that we'll all agree on is no matter what, and I'm sure for your clients, is that it's just so frustrating because it's a constant jigsaw puzzle to figure out the right elements between exercise and food and everything else in your daily activities to make this work. Let me ask you this question. I have what I call my naturally skinny friends. Now, they're not skinny, but I call, I'm just using this term. These are These are people, and I know that you've all, those of you listening, and I'm sure Charlie too, people who maintain all the time, they eat what they want, they don't overeat, they'll have a cheeseburger and fries, get full, half of it, and be able to not, you know, not eat anymore. They exercise, stuff they kind of like to do, maybe they ride horses, maybe that's their exercise. Their body always kind of stays the same, and they seem to just be in this amazing equilibrium all the time. And then there are others who are going crazy in the gym, trying to trying to lose weight and they can't seem to in your research do you find that that our bodies really adjust to just where they're really comfortable and that the people who are naturally skinny maybe mentally and physically have figured that out and and are there and then the rest of us for whatever reason have a just a bigger struggle because of who we are i mean it's it's such a, an interesting concept to see some people not struggle and just kind of maintain through their lives. It, it is. It, it's a great. It's a great concept to point out that some people are just blessed uh, with the genetics and the metabolism to be able to do that, and also with the brain wiring that keeps them from overeating. That some person, an overweight person, is going to eat a cheesesteak and then want another cheesesteak, whereas somebody who maintains a healthy weight might eat a half a cheesesteak and feel satisfied and not want any more. Uh, and there are functional MRI studies uh, of people who maintain a normal weight, and it looks as though that people who maintain a normal weight and do not struggle respond in the brain as, their, uh, as a reward for eating with much fewer quantity or much less quantity of food than somebody who is overweight or obese. So in order to get the perception of a reward, an obese person might need to eat three or four times as much as somebody with normal weight. Um, to feel that reward or feel that satisfaction from eating. Wow. And it's interesting. Certainly more research needs to be done on it, and it's not real cut and dry, but we do know that some people just maintain a different body weight. And then there's a lot of discussion about set point and does each body have a set point and you're constantly fighting the set point, can you readjust the set point? And their answers are not overly clear. But as a practical matter, if somebody wants to lose weight, they're going to need to do whatever they need to do in a maintainable fashion to lose that body fat. 
It's, uh, again, just, I, I think the best description is, is it's this giant jigsaw puzzle to figure out the pieces. Because it is frustrating for someone to watch someone down that they work with kind of do what they need to do and never move. And they are over here struggling, <laughs> you know, to yeah, to lose two pounds, you know. And we, we've all been yeah. in those situations. Yeah. It, it, it's very frustrating. And there's not, there's not a clear-cut answer. Exactly. You know, I'm, uh, I want to dive into uh, water weight and bloat and all that into some other things, but I just saw a study and that I want to ask you about that I, I didn't even preview on, but I was reading Dr. Mercola's site and he was talking about um, intermittent fasting, which I've done a podcast on that and I've studied that and all that, but uh, there are the body, there's the bodybuilding industry that um, believes there's some value to early morning um, fasted cardio. Then there's, you know, other people that say, oh my God, get up, have a big breakfast, start your day, get your metabolism back up since it's been in kind of uh, deprivation for the eight to 10 hours. And then Dr. Mercola just brought up that, you know, he believes that for you to really start taking fat, you know, to use it, how I'm going to probably say this wrong, but something about using the fat the way you should to as stored energy that you need to be in a fasted state longer to really get into that. And then I just saw another study from um, Tom Venuto, who I absolutely love reading his stuff, saying that he saw... Oh, he's great. I love, right? Well, he saw research saying that the worst thing you can do is, you know, is cut your calories. And as we... I already know that you don't want to cut your calories and increase your exercise because your metabolism goes crazy. But he's saying that even doing that a little bit in research he's seen is detrimental. And yet here we have Dr. Mercola saying... Um, that he eats between about 12 and 7 only now because he feels like, you know, that's the best way to do it. So this is a loaded question, but based on those scenarios, do you have any thoughts on this as far as I, how that works? I have to say that I am certainly intrigued by intermittent fasting. And I think that because even in the intermittent fasting protocols that call for fat loss, you are going to be in a calorie deficit. It's just the way that we structure the calories. And I think that the points we can take away from that are that if you do go more than three or four hours without eating, you're not going to burn all your muscle or lose all your muscle. I mean, our bodies are very, very well adapted. And I, I don't really have the answer to that. I, I'm not a believer in fasted cardio for the very reason that I think it makes more sense to set up your body to burn fat when you're not exercising versus when you are exercising. So if you do low-intensity steady-state cardio in a fasted state, you are going to burn a larger percentage of your calories from fat. However, you are going to lose some muscle or burn some, some muscles to get amino acids for energy as well. Um, and also, you're not going to be able to perform as much. You're not going to be able to do as high-intensity workouts. So I would rather see somebody still in a mild calorie deficit, but doing cardio in a more intense fashion while they're well-fueled, which will increase power output and increase the total number of calories burned. And although during the exercise, the percentage of calories from fat will be lower, the amount of fat oxidized in the 24 or 36 hours after the workout will cause a significantly greater degree of calorie burn and thus fat loss than doing a mild or slow intensity steady state on a fasted, uh, in a fasted state. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And, and like I said, there's always conflicting studies and research. And uh, I, I'm, not, I'm sure that you, with your, your practice and the way that you work, you can monitor so many things, which is the advantage to, to working with someone like you is that you're not guessing. You're basically monitoring what is working and I tell my clients that sometimes the best program is the one that you can adhere to and that gets you results and it might not you know obviously it might not work for someone else but it doesn't mean that it's wrong 
for you. So, you know, with all, right. with all this research uh, that conflicts. I, I use the prescription glasses analogy with all my patients. I wear prescription glasses and I can see great from them. When I take them off, I don't see very well. If I were to put that my glasses on somebody else, they wouldn't be able to see. And that's kind of how nutritional and exercise plans work. They need to be tailored to the individual. If I were to put masking tape across the front of my glasses, that would be like a fad diet, and they wouldn't work for anybody. Got it. So people really need to figure out what works for them, and I agree with you that it has to be maintainable. What works in a controlled experiment in an isolated wing of a hospital or with lab rats um, in a laboratory, it doesn't really matter in the real world for a lot of people. So if someone examines whether a low-carbohydrate diet caused greater fat loss than a low-fat diet, it's not going to matter in the real world if the person that I'm talking to cannot tolerate a low-carbohydrate diet. Wow, that's a great point because you could read research and say, look, look at, look at how much weight they lost. But you're right. It's, once you take them out, it's like the biggest loser where someone gets out of that environment and they can't maintain what they were doing. That's a great point uh, that it might not be practical for uh, your everyday living, even though the research shows that it was an amazing results for, for, for the study group. Exactly. And it, it, it's like, like the paleo nutrition plan, which I think is absolutely wonderful in theory, but the vast majority of the people out there can't live on a paleo diet their entire lives. Just our society and our culture is such that processed foods are integral. So I, although I would love to see everybody follow a paleo-style diet and not eat anything processed, it doesn't happen in the real world. So I tell my patients, the chances of you dying of an obesity-related illness are much greater than your chances of dying from, say, drinking Diet Coke. So if you need to drink a Diet Coke to calm your sweet tooth, which will allow you to maintain a calorie deficit and achieve a healthy weight, you're going to be better off than if you try to drink water for two days but then end up eating Big Macs and ice cream because you feel so deprived. <laughs> That's such a great point. What is, quote, water weight? I know that, that people talk about water weight all the time. Okay. Yeah, I mean, water weight, the way I look at it, is the water that is not in your muscle cells and it is not in your veins and your arteries so not in your circulatory system so the fancy word for it is the interstitial space which is the space in between your cells and your veins and your arteries and when people say they're holding water or they're bloated they have a lot of extra water floating around which can make people or which can blur people's definition if you're lean or can make you feel bloated um, it generally is a salt water balance. It can be avoided in general by avoiding foods which cause bloating. A lot of people have food insensitivities. Milk is a common one where people, most people have at least a mild degree of, of milk allergy or milk intolerance, which will cause them to hold water or feel bloated. Um, the dehydration thing is important because when people are dehydrated, they weigh less. And a lot of people who are just after a magic number on the scale will purposely dehydrate themselves in order to get the scale down. The problem is that even mild dehydration will blunt fat burning, and in the long run, it's the wrong approach. When people request water pills to help drop weight, they're not, making the disting uh, not distinguishing between fat loss and weight loss, as we talked about before. People need to stay well hydrated, and in the grand scheme of things, losing, 10, or losing two or three pounds of body fat will make your clothes fit looser no matter how much bloat you're holding, no matter how much water weight you have. Right, exactly, and I know with dehydration, I think people, I, I think, don't realize how critical that can be in preventing your body from functioning 
the right way. Do you find that a lot of your your patients, your clients, are not hydrated properly? Yeah, I have patients who won't weigh them, who, who won't drink water for three hours before they come in and weigh themselves here, or before they weigh. <laughs> it absolutely drives me crazy. <laughs> we use, I use, I use body fat and waist measurement as my main markers, and I tell them, you know, I don't care what the scale says. I don't care if you're ten pounds lighter on the scale. If you're close to it, the same, it's not fat loss. Exactly. I'd rather see you lose two pounds of body fat, which is going to make your belt loose rather than, say, cutting out carbohydrates for two days and losing 10 pounds of water. Exactly. It's just going to make the scale go down. Um, in the same way, if people lose muscle and not body fat, their body fat percentage is actually going to go up, even though the scale is going to go down. It's why it's so important to look at things besides the scale. Unfortunately, that's what most people are fixated on. I know. And in fact, do you think that's one of the biggest misconceptions are one of them in weight loss and in trying to live fit and healthy? Or what do you see in your practice as far as things that you have to constantly say, well, let me, let me actually clarify or let me you know, help you to understand this? It's, it's the weight loss, fat loss um, issue where I will have people start weight training and they will gain two or three pounds over the course of three or four days. And I just have to let them know that that's the body's adaptation of holding more sugar and water within their muscles. It's actually making their body fat percentage go down and making them take up less space and making their clothes stay looser even though the scale is not necessarily going down immediately. Now, it is much easier to lose body fat than it is to gain muscle, so that eventually equals out and the patient will start losing again. But they need to understand that there is a difference between weight loss and fat loss. And that's why I don't shoot for major numbers because when you see giant numbers over short periods of time, chances are it's not body fat that's being lost. Same way when you weigh yourself at night, you're going to be probably five pounds heavier than you are in the morning. Now, your clothes aren't going to fit any different at night versus the morning, whereas if you were to gain or lose five pounds of body fat, you can rest assured that your clothes would fit much differently. Oh, that's a great point. So try, to get them, try to get them out of that mindset. And I tell it to the people who are especially stubborn, I'll say, would you rather look like you weigh 120 pounds, but you're going to be 400 pounds on the scale, or would you rather be 80 pounds on the scale but have to wear a size 26? Right. And right. that really clarifies it for them. What is your experience with, uh, with supplementation when it comes to fat loss? I am a believer in a certain number of well-researched supplements. Now, granted, supplements are just that. They're supplements. They're not replacements for healthy diet and exercise program. And if somebody thinks that they can eat whatever they want and not exercise and take a pill, you're right. The, if that pill existed, the government would be giving it out. Insurance companies would certainly be giving it to their people to avoid all the obesity-related illnesses and healthcare expenditures. That being said, there are a number of supplements like conjugated linoleic acid and fish oil and green tea extract and cayenne pepper extract that will be effective in helping somebody burn body fat as long as the other pieces of the puzzle are in place. There's, there's supplements out there that we know are effective in helping increase lean muscle mass, which will also, in the absence of any body fat loss, cause a body fat percentage decrease by increasing lean muscle. Creatine monohydrate, uh, traditionally a supplement used by bodybuilders and athletes, there's a lot of good research coming out now that it can have a great benefit in the older population who strength train. It can cause significantly increased muscle mass and strength um, amongst older people, which can become very important. 
same thing with whey protein and leucine, which is a branching amino acid. And these are supplements that I put a lot of my patients on um, that classically uh, wouldn't be used in people unless they were bodybuilders or fitness models or competitive athletes. When a patient or a new client comes into your office, how do you get started with someone? I mean, what do you say to someone that just sits sitting there saying, I don't even know what to do? I, I just, I don't know where to start. Well, I would say this, let's find out what you're doing now which is why for the first week, I don't ask the patients to change anything about their nutrition plan or their exercise other than log it. We know that logging your food is a great tool in maintaining a healthy weight and achieving a healthy weight if you're overweight. You need to know where you're starting at. You need your starting point. And then from there, you can start making adjustments. What I ask people to avoid is to pick the first fad diet or fad exercise product out there and then dive in without doing any research. Common sense is always your best tool. I tell my patients if something doesn't look right or seem right or seems too good to be true, then it's going to not be right or it is going to be too good to be true. There are no magic pills out there. So I tell people, let's figure out what you're doing and let's look at ways to make it better. Let's make small changes as opposed to having you change all your habits at one time and expecting them to stick. You definitely, uh, from what I've seen here, uh, made your own transformation happen years yeah. ago. Tell me about that. Well, I had struggled with my weight um, since I was probably 10 or 11. Um, grew outward rather than growing upward. And it struggled up through medical school, um, actually up and down on the yo-yo diets, looking for the next quick fix, the low-carbohydrate diet, the low-fat diet, whatever it might be, meal replacement shakes. Um, and I had, I, call, I say everyone has an aha moment or a breaking point or, or some point in their life where they recognize that there are no magic pills out there and that it does require a lifestyle change. And that happened for me when I was, I was 26 or 27, is at the end of medical school. Um, and I had to buy a size 40 pants because that was the only size that, my 38 pants didn't fit me anymore. And I was going to a party the same night. The only thing I could find in my entire closet that covered my stomach was a white knit sweater. And I said, this is absolutely ridiculous. What I've done before hasn't worked. I need to make this lifestyle change. And I did. And I made small changes, the same type of changes that I encourage my patients to make, such that they would be maintainable. And the one thing I did differently that time, which has kept me at a healthy body weight, was I didn't eliminate anything. I didn't say, I'm never going to have this again. I said, I'm going to moderate this, and I'm going to have it infrequently, and I'm going to make it fit in with my lifestyle. So the difference was I made my nutritional and exercise plan fit in with my lifestyle rather than every time in the past where I tried to make my lifestyle fit into a nutrition plan or an exercise program. Wow. How long was the process then for you to get down to where you are now? And I, I lost probably 30 pounds or 35 pounds um, within six or eight months after I made that decision to change my lifestyle in my late 20s. And I've gone within a healthy weight. I've competed in bodybuilding shows since then where I've gotten down to a weight that's not maintainable, but I've never allowed myself to go up above 180. There are times when, you know, there are times when you're trying to build muscle where you do need to carry a little bit of extra body fat, but I find that if my waist gets up above 34, I stop feeling good um, and I start to get more lethargic. So that's where I like to keep myself. Right now I'm 170 pounds and trying to put on muscle without losing the smallest belt loop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know what I find remarkable is that you're a physician, and I guess there really isn't training on nutrition or exercise, really, or fat loss in the general practice 
medicine, right? I mean, you're a specialist. And in fact, did you, did you, were you going into that as a specialty or did you do that after? I know that's two questions. I, I had did, I, I, I was a personal trainer after medical school before I started my residency because I knew I wanted to be in the fitness industry just because of my own struggles that I was just at that point getting a hold of um, and controlling. Um, the nutrition course we had in medical school was three weeks, I think, in my second year and was woefully inadequate. I think that in general, the macronutrient recommendations are off by the government. I think that they recommend too many carbohydrates, too little protein, and have a skewed view of fat. These protein recommendations are not geared toward active people. Athletes, people who weight train, people who experience more muscle breakdown are going to need more protein. People who are overweight do better with more protein because it's more filling. And I, I think that the approach that a lot of personal trainers and nutritionists take is probably better than the one that most doctors take just because they have more training in it. Doctors are meant to fix problems, and unfortunately the type of healthcare system we're in is that doctors are trained to treat symptoms rather than going after the cause. So giving a high blood pressure medication and a cholesterol medication to somebody who is overweight with high blood pressure and high cholesterol versus getting the weight off. That's not the doctor's fault, it's the system that we're in. Um, I just don't believe that it's the most effective way to treat patients. You have, obviously, people come to you there. Do you also work online, or if someone wanted your help, how could they do anything with you, or is it, do they need to be I in do. your... No, we do. We do Skype appointments. We had um, a news clip that I, I did with one of my personal training clients uh, on supplements, the same supplements that I was talking about before. He's a 70-year-old guy who used to weigh 260 pounds and is down to 170 now that I work with. Um, that got picked up and was run all over the country. And I have, I have a number of people that I do uh, consultation via Skype, regular follow-ups. I will not use weight loss medication with somebody who I can't see in the office, but I certainly do the nutritional recommendations and the supplement recommendations um, online, assuming that it's medically appropriate. My website is www.limitlesslongevity.com. Um, I keep a really good blog on there with a lot of information, both philosophical stuff and specific recommendations about exercise and nutrition. Um, the office phone number is 215-279-8376. I do offer a free 15-minute consult either um, via phone or Skype or in the office. Um, and you can email me too at cseltzer at limitlesslongevity.com. And a lot of my blog posts are actually responses to questions that people ask from across the country and my, my current patients. I figure if somebody has a question about weight loss and nutrition or exercise, probably other people do too. So I try to take the broadly applicable ones and make them into blog posts. I really try to emphasize for my patients, you have to look at the research in context. You have to ask, does this have real-world applicability or is it just something that's interesting? Because there are a lot of research out there. When you actually look at the studies and you try to relate it to what happens in the real world, it just doesn't really have any real-world application. Whereas there are other studies that might not seem like they have real-world application, but when you look at it, it can really give you good information about how you should live from day to day. So all research needs to be interpreted with a grain of salt. And you need to understand that if one study was done on mice, maybe there's some value to it, but more has to be done. So I really, if I could just get in a point about raspberry ketones real quick. The research on raspberry ketones is really limited to one study done on mice in the 90s um, and really has no human application uh, at all. 
And for people who think they can take raspberry ketones because they're the new miracle supplement and lose weight, they're just, they're just sorely mistaken. And I'd really like let people know that's not the way to go. Oh, yeah, all the, the stuff that you get on that you see online that makes it sound like, you know, this is the final cure. Oh, my gosh, it's so and it really can suck you in because it just looks the, the way that they market all this stuff. Well, I, I, I was a victim of that for a lot of my adult life. I, I bought more of these kinds of miracle products than you can imagine. <laughs> and you know, they just don't work because in two years we're not going to hear about raspberry ketones. We're going to be hearing about some other miracle supplement. Exactly. Exactly. The same way you know, we don't hear about eight-minute abs or Billy Blanks anymore. Yeah. And that was the cure to fat loss. I would love for you to, if you can, the best you can, take someone kind of to the inside of their body when they do a full-on binge or what's happening with their body trying to function on junk food or all processed foods and not whole foods. You know, describe what the body is dealing with when we basically pollute our body with the sugars and the processed foods and all that. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's an inflammatory mess that you get when you do that. We know that insulin is a pro-inflammatory molecule that is released when people eat processed foods, which are almost almost without exception, high in sugar um, and high fructose corn syrup and those things. It's just, it's a storm of chemicals that are released from the fat cells um, and other organs that just cause just a mess. And I can't even describe it. You notice the feeling that people get when they eat too much and they feel blah, Um, they feel lethargic. And you can just think that on the inside, it's a million times worse than that. Just it's really difficult to describe it. It's just, I just describe it to my patients as a mess. These are not foods that we were meant to eat from an evolutionary standpoint. Our bodies are not really equipped to handle foods that are not exist in nature, like partially hydrogenated oils and high fructose corn syrup. And we know from studies that people who eat those kinds of food will deposit more fat around their belly. They will have bad cholesterol and it comes from that dysfunctional signaling you're right your body doesn't know what's going on with it when we introduce high fructose corn syrup everybody says what's this i don't know i think it's a carbohydrate i think it's sugar but it leads to an inflammatory cascade that just causes a whole series of problems well beyond the extra calories that you're getting when people eat the same food chronically they start to think that that is normal quote, normal, end quote, Um, when in fact it's not. And when people go to eating a more unprocessed natural diet, they start to feel the way we should feel, which is more energy, less bloat. Um, And it can make a significant difference. And by, in the real world, by just having people change out little things, they'll start to feel better, even with minor changes, even with going from drinking juice or soda or even diet soda over to water, they'll start to feel better. And that will fuel the desire to make other changes. The more natural things you put in your body um, and the less processed foods, the better you're going to feel and the better you're going to function. Yeah, and it just kind of keeps you going, which I'm sure that's what you find. So, uh, which would probably be the issue of staying motivated when nothing's happening, right? When you go two weeks and you have nothing's really changing because your body's, I guess, trying to adjust. And and that was the last thing I wanted to. Um, I I wanted someone had asked me about that, and I almost forgot. Is that whole um, period of time where you're doing everything right and your body just hasn't reacted, but then all of a sudden it just seems to like happen overnight and Mm -hmm. you know, you get there. What is that? 
I, I believe there's a delay a lot of times when people will binge um, over the course of several days. They might not see weight gain right away. Um, it'll happen over the next week or so. And I'm not really sure why that happens, although I do see it all the time. Same thing when people start uh, healthier nutrition plans. They might go a couple weeks without losing weight, and all of a sudden it does start to fall off. And I just tell them that weight loss is not linear or fat loss isn't linear, meaning you can go a week or two and be at the same weight, and then the following several weeks you might lose five or six pounds of body fat. Um, they're just the way it works. And I look for averages. So over the course of a month, I like to see a patient lose between six and eight pounds of body fat, which is significant and a large amount of weight. If somebody's losing a pound and a half or two pounds per week, that's over 75 to 100 pounds per year, which is more than most people need to lose. Okay, well, good. I'm glad that uh, that we cleared that up because I know it happens to a lot of people where, and if you're listening, it's happening to you, don't give up. Sometimes I always think it's that one next day where you would see it, right? But you give up too soon. Like, just keep going. I, mean, I, I, I would ask the patient, just remember that you're doing this for your health. And by eating healthier and being more active, you're going to be more healthy. The weight loss will come if you do the right things. I don't want people to be focused on the scale. I want people focused on being more healthy so that they can live longer and do more things and see their grandkids grow up. Exactly. Rather than being focused on losing five pounds in a week. Yeah, I, I just, you have to find out what works for you, what's maintainable for you in the long run, what's healthy, and what's something that you can do, and then go do it. And don't be afraid to change gears if you have to. Next month, I'm addressing the issue of clutter, mental and physical, what it symbolizes, and how to deal with it. Got clutter? You know we all do. If not in our houses, it's in our garage, or how about your desk? Or what about just in your mind and in your thoughts? Clutter, clutter, clutter. Until then, make good choices, set appropriate boundaries, spread some good vibrations in the world, find something to laugh about every day. And please, here's where I beg, down on my knees, begging, manage your stress before it manages you. This is Tina Anderson with Get Fit, Stay Healthy, asking you to do the same. And please, let's connect at TinaAndersonOC.com. I want to get to know you better. TinaAndersonOC.com. Go there right now and connect with me. Subscribe to the blog. Get on my Facebook like page. Something. Come on. I'll be looking for you. Have a great month, you guys.